God, we confess that we do need you. And that you are our everything. And we thank you for being in this place. We thank you for the opportunity to worship in a free and unhindered environment. We thank you that as we take communion today, that we are doing that with millions and millions around the world, proclaiming the power of your name. So, Lord, as we enter into this time, we come before you. And, Lord, if there is any heaviness or any fear, any concern, we command it to be gone. And we thank you for your presence in this place. We thank you for the joy of our salvation. We thank you, God, that whether all is well in our lives right now or things are difficult, it is still well with our soul. And we honor you. And we thank you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we are in this, the sermon series on lessons from Luke and hence the building blocks things that uh, we have here on the stage. Um, we're looking at fundamentals. And as kids entered school and that type of thing, um, to me the building blocks were very significant. And I think on the screen we have building blocks as well. Um, as a children's pastor, I think it was at this church, uh, when you have the block center, you have to be careful how long are the uh, pieces of wood because little boys, never little girls, but little boys would kind of see them as a bat. And uh, I think my first Wednesday night here, years and years ago on Pearl Street, somebody took it as a bat and hit the, one of the bouncers like right in the forehead. I mean, there was blood. You know, and you're kind of like going, this doesn't happen all the time. I'm sorry. You've got to learn how to duck. We have classes on that. Anyway, we, we got rid of the bat. Um, it was like a two-by-four. I mean, it was like a two-by-four. Uh, anyway, we, we tried to avoid that. We look at the building blocks in our lives and, and the foundations that we lay everything upon. And so I would say to you, as we are going through some of the scriptures in the lectionary, and there are churches that do that all the time, and we do that some of the time. Uh, I don't really like the scripture. <laughs> because you read it and go, really? Uh, or at least that's what I do. That's my first inclination. You, you all may be going, cool, I'm fine with that. Um, but it's harsh. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, you know, on and on and on, uh, you can't be my disciples. And obviously, Jesus is not saying, take this opportunity to snarl at your family, you know, on Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, although some of them may, you know, warrant that. Just kidding. Y'all are like asleep. You know, do we need to stand up and do the hokey pokey? Sarah, we need to do it again. When Sarah talked about doing the hokey pokey, I envisioned them up here, you know, and then I envisioned kids, you know, pushing each other. Not that that ever happens, but anyway. Um... This is all about loving God more. And it's not about hating your family. But in comparison, do we have such incredible love for him that by contrast, 
how you love your family, how you love your children, how you love your neighbors. That we would love God more. Because it is my conviction in this scripture and it's my conviction in what Jesus was saying that it is in loving God first that all other relationships fall into place. It is in loving God the most and placing him first that everything else kind of falls into place, kind of like stacking blocks. So the scripture is not about taking a biblical stance to operate in hatred. But it's that our love would be so great that every, for God that everything else pales. And so I want us to think a minute about like the Ten Commandments. And I know that's not always easy stuff to think about. And I know that's stuff that we memorized in Sunday school when we were little and all that type of thing. But first one is have no idols before me. And we think, I don't know if you have any little statues in your house or not. You know, I don't know that I do. I don't. I mean, you know, in that day they were talking about, you know, worshiping other gods. But at the same time we do have other gods, whether we want to admit it or not. We have things that are so important to us, it becomes almost out of perspective. And part of that is with just the media, and if you watch TV, although I'm sure none of you do, but you know, if you, anything you watch, any relationship, it, it becomes that human contact is so much more important than anything God could offer you. Right? I mean, you know, the God factor is just not even considered, and it's like you'll meet this person that meets your every need. And that would kind of be in the category of fantasy. Because there's not a person that can meet your every need. And there is only one that we're to worship. I worked with a woman one time and her kids. um, And she thought she had an excellent marriage. This was years ago. Years ago. And uh, like decades ago. You don't know her. Don't figure it out. Um, But just saying. But she said, you know, I thought we had a great marriage. She said, I thought my marriage was wonderful. All our friends said, oh, you have the best marriage. And she said to me, I worshipped the ground he walked on. And a little red flag in my head. Because there's no way. And he, he came to despise her. Truly. They divorced. It was very bitter. Kids were very broken. There's only one that we worship. And there's no person that fits that bill. When I taught Bible at CCA, I had them, when you teach on relationships, they listen, you know, because they, you know, that's important to them. And so teaching on relationships, we talked about, you know, tell me what you think, trying to get their point of view, tell me what you think about relationships and the person that you want to marry. What, how do you see that? Um, and so they did, and, you know, people, the girls would write, you know, I'm going to have three children, and these are their names, and they're going to have blonde hair and blue eyes, and the guys are just kind of like, huh, you know, sorry, sorry, men, but the guys are not as into it as the girl, but there was one young man, um, and his parents had divorced, because I was trying to say, if your expectation going into marriage is they will meet your every need, you will be very disappointed. I mean, it, you know, that's what, that's God's job, that's not a person's job. 
And if we put a person in that place, we're setting them up for failure. And he wrote, he said, you know, I do expect to meet a woman that will meet my every need. You know, and what I wanted to answer on the paper was, you know, good luck and, you know, sorry for the sarcasm, dude, you know, as you're kind of burying your soul to me here. But it's like, buddy, you know, and, and the point of that is the Lord fills those places in us. And there are places in all of us that only God can feel. And as, and as we are in right perspective there, then everything else falls in line. And so I just encourage you in that to think about, is there anything that you think more about than God? And for me, that would be like, yeah. You know, there are a lot of things I think about more than God, if I'm honest. You know, it's not like I just constantly am going, you know, I mean, we're not in a constant state of just kind of a, you know, whatever, although probably we should be. But the different things that occupy our minds and occupy our time, I think it's important to think about that. Yes, we have to function. Yes, we have jobs. Yes, we have things we have to do. We have to take care of our kids. All that stuff. But is he in your mind? Are you focusing on him? Do you see him as the one to meet the needs? Even, even basic questions. Do you kind of consult him when you have a problem. And I think our thing is, we think, well, I can figure it out. And I guess that's kind of a good place to start, but I don't know how that works for you, but that doesn't always work real well for me. And I'm just saying that as Jesus says, you know, all these people, to be my disciple, you have to hate them. I think what he's really saying is, will you love me more? He goes on to talk about carry your cross, and and that's talking about the beam of the cross, and it was incredibly heavy, and it was also incredibly scandalous. They knew that meant execution. Now, I don't know if you got up this morning and thought, you know, an execution would just be an amazing thing. I mean, nobody wants to think about that, but that's what he was saying, that they take up their cross and follow him. Interestingly enough, when that really happened to Jesus, None of his disciples were there to do it for him. In the flogging, he had been beaten so badly. Jewish law was that you would get 39 lashes. The Romans had no such law. And they would just beat the person until they got tired. These were Roman soldiers. And Isaiah tells us that he was beaten beyond recognition. And so they had to find someone else to carry the cross. Disciples were not there. If I'd been there at that point in time, I don't know that that I would have been there to say, let me carry it. But he's telling us to lay down our lives, carry the cross, and follow him. I don't know what you see as the things that occupy your time. Obviously, we have to function in this world. Uh, There are people that we see as really important to us, and I get that. I get that. And it should be. But is it in perspective? Is it in perspective with what God has for you? Because, see, I think we look, look at human people or we look at relationships or we look at children or grandchildren or whatever. We look at all of that and we're wanting that we want those relationships to be good, and that's true. But we have to look first to God and ask Him to fill those places. 
Ask him to be the one that is primary for us. And then I think everything else falls into line. That doesn't mean whoever in your family, maybe that's just my family, let's just say my family, not talking about my children who are present, but our extended family. You know, that when you go to Thanksgiving and you're kind of going, and some of these folks have gone on, I'm not exactly sure, you know, where they've gone on to, but trust they're with the Lord. Uh, We won't probably send this out to family members, Lauren. But anyway... um, You know, there are people that sometimes it's very awkward to do Thanksgiving with and Christmas with and that kind of thing. You know, that's that's incredibly difficult. And yet asking God to move in that to where there can be peace. You know, you hear so much about peace and people do the, you know, the, the, the sign for peace and all that kind of stuff. And it's such a big deal in scripture. It is not necessarily the absence of war, which at least in my memory, that's when that became such a big deal, you know, in in World War II. It was more like victory and all that kind of stuff. But in scripture, what the the Hebrew word really means is it talks about how it's a matter of completeness. When someone says shalom, completeness and wholeness and health and welfare and safety— and soundness, tranquility, prosperity, fullness, rest, harmony, and absence from fear and anxiety. When Jesus says to us, peace, that's what he's saying. And that's what he's saying he brings to the table. That's what he is saying he does in our lives. And I think our job is, we have to say, God, widen my heart. And I think our job is, do we really believe him? Do we really believe his love for us? Do we really believe how he cares for us? Do we really believe him? Do we really believe he says who he says he is? Do we really believe he's the one that will fill every part of us? That we might be then in a place to be more effective in relationships. Do we believe he'll do that? And that's hard. Believing in him, believing his love, believing his care for us, how he watches over us, even when we don't understand. Especially if we don't understand. I believe that our greatest need is for God. And no person or thing can fill that place. People may do it with their stuff. People may do it with relationships. People may do it with how they spend their time on the internet. You know, for this generation, and I'm not just talking for all of us, you know, the internet has become such a huge thing as far as time and how we are influenced and what happens to us. It's such a big deal. How society, how the media portrays love, When Jesus said, lay down your life, that love is laying down your life. And I don't know the last movie you saw, but usually that's not not really how it's set up. I don't think we begin to have a clue of God's love. I I just don't think we do. And I think one way to pray, and one way I certainly pray, is God, widen my heart. In the book of Corinthians, Paul writes, oh, Corinthians, widen your heart. To understand the love of God. 
So my prayer for all of us, including me, is that we would widen our hearts to, to know his love. And even when we don't get it, we trust him that he will bring redemption and that he will bring restorations, that he will do what he says he will do. It's such a critical thing. Okay, here's the deal. So the Bible says God loves us. And, you know, throughout Scripture you see that. And Scriptures of him caring for his people and that kind of stuff. But so many people, so many people don't believe it for them. They can believe it for you or you or, you know, they can believe it for everybody else. But does God really love me? And that's just such a critical thing in being able to receive. It's kind of the beginning point of being able to receive what he has for you. Because if scripture says he is love, but we can't believe he really loves us, you kind of see the problem there? So how do you begin to receive other stuff from him, the other gifts of the spirit? How do you begin to really receive? It's, it's a critical thing to let him bring healing to our hearts and to those places that need his touch, that we might be more effective for him. But more importantly than that, that we can understand how he loves us and how we love him back. It's not the stuff you do. I mean, that's cool. But it's how he sees you. It's who you are. One of the most significant times in my life was um, having children. And um, I'm not going to go in, you know, no pictures and all that kind of stuff. I mean, sometimes you're kind of going, really? Did you think about putting that on the screen? But, so no pictures. But I remember holding them and really understanding about loving someone so much you would die for them. You hold that little kid. And at that point... Um, I was about to make a sarcastic comment about second-born versus first-born, but, but, you know, they haven't done anything. They eat, right? And they sleep, and they tell you when it's time to change their diaper. You know, we're kinda, I'm kind of getting support here from Maddox. Um, you know, I mean, they communicate. They haven't done anything, and you love them. And you know what it is to lay down your life for someone. So can you connect that with God and how he loves you? That if he can give us those emotions or in relationships or people that we care for, understanding, loving, if we can have that just with each other, can we, can we get that with God? And not just hold it off or say, well, yeah, but if you really knew, well, guess what? He kind of does, you know? I mean, not in a creepy way like, you know, I've got your number. But that scripture says that before we were formed, he knew us. That there's no place we can go hiding from him. That he is not there. That he knows us better than we know ourselves. And as much as you love your kids... He loves them more. As much as you may love your parents or whatever relationship, he loves them more. And are we willing to trust him with them? 
And remember, I mean, you commit your kids to the Lord or relationships or anybody that's gone to camp. You know, I used to be the one that took kids to camp. And it was kind of like, what's the problem? Get on the bus. We'll bring them back, I promise. You know, all of that. When you have a kid and you're putting them on that bus, you know, you kind of want to just grill the person on their driving skills and all that. I mean, I'm being sarcastic. But, you know, you're kind of like, and Robert commented one time about, a situation, I don't know, a parent was commenting about their kid, and he said, Mom, they haven't had to put him on the bus yet. They haven't had to put, send them to a retreat. They haven't had to, you know, send them on a mission trip. Do we trust that God's going to take care of us? Do I trust God that he loves Lauren and Robert more than I possibly could? And that he is far more interested in their welfare and healing and restoration than I possibly could. And that's not just me, that's everybody. So I encourage you, I encourage us all, because this is me too, whatever the things are that you feel like are more important than God, and I know we wouldn't like make a list and go, well, God's number 13, you know, but... Whatever those things are. You've seen the internet commercials where, you know, internet's gone off at the house. And, of course, that never happens at my house. Maybe it happens at your house. But the internet is off. And they're going around trying to get the, you know, trying to figure it out. And there's one of a girl in her room. And she is huddled over her laptop going, I love you, I love you, I love you, come back, I love you. Have y'all seen that? Kind of sick? I mean, it's like, oh my goodness. Now, I will tell you that when the internet does not work at my house, I am normally not singing the happy song, you know. And it's never when I really need it, right? You know. For me, a real idol as a child growing up and as an adult, if I am honest, and I am trying to be, was normalcy. That I grew up in a very dysfunctional home I mean, my mother loved God and loved us and was amazing. And so the whole thing about hate your mother, you know, can't really go there until you understand. But I wanted growing up, I wanted things to be normal. And loving God and all that stuff. But we kind of have our own ideas of how it's going to be and what we want. But the truth is, and I know the stupid book about normal is just a setting on a dryer and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, for somebody that's grown up in dysfunction, I mean real dysfunction, you know, that's what you crave. That's what you want. And no person can bring that to me. Only God. Only God can bring that kind of balance and healing in my life to where he is my normal. And I'm not trying to put that on people, but that I can just say, oh, God, would you help me here? Lord, would you help me? I think sometimes we think we have to do these incredibly long prayers, and sometimes it's just, God, help me. Help me. And Scripture says in Deuteronomy that he runs across the heaven to our aid. Do you get that image of a loving father running across heaven to help you. And part of that analogy is in that time and and culture, men, patriarchs did not run. And so that whole image of God running to help you. He is the one that loves us best. Doesn't mean we have to just, 
not do internet or not do football. Ooh, that's scary. I said that in the fall, right? Not asking how you spent your time yesterday. Grew up between two brothers. I have an older brother and a younger brother. And if you were going to function in life, you had to understand sports. And so I became educated at a very early age. We won't go into how good I was at it, but... um, They always, what is the deal? They can always beat you until, you know, you get, anyway, you know, y'all know. My brothers are awesome, but boy, growing up, that scripture, there are times that scripture, I remember my mother saying, just ignore them. Did anybody ever hear that? Am I the only female in the room? Just ignore them and it will go, they'll just, they'll quit. Well, you know. I didn't find that really worked until we all got to be about 20, you know? (laughs) And I remember giving that sage advice to my daughter. Not that it had anything to do with Robert. But his spiritual gift was, how do I annoy my sister? You know? And it could be perfectly peace in the car, right? You know, wholeness, completeness, all that junk in the car. And she'd be singing a little gospel song in the back, not kidding. And he'd just reach over and jerk her hair just because it was too calm or whatever. And it didn't matter that he got in trouble. It's not like I just said, oh, there, honey. You know, please don't do that again. I mean, he got in trouble. And, of course, she just feels like, I wasn't doing anything. You know, and she wasn't. His, I think it's, I don't know if it's a Y chromosome thing or what, but whenever I tell that story, most of the men in the room are looking, he was doing his job. You know, <laughs> good man, you know. And all the women are like, I, I know just how you feel. <laughs> so I told Lauren, my mother's sage advice, honey, just, you know, just ignore him. And she said to me, you know, it just isn't working that well. You know? <laughs> and she was right. She was right. So we went on to other means of intervention. Uh, just saying. Oh, that we would understand his love. That we would have a clue. And receive it. Not just thinking, oh, well, God can love you. Of course, you're you. But does God love me? And, you know, in a sense, we may see that as, and, and that's me too, in a sense, we may see that as, well, I'm just being very spiritual there. Well, it can also kind of be spiritual pride. I'm too bad for God to love me. Well, how far you want to take that one down the road? Romans 8, that nothing, nothing, nothing separates us from his love. And so will you receive it? In the Methodist Church, there are two sacraments that we observe, and one is baptism. We did that last week with Mr. Breck, and um, it's as a visible sign of an inward grace or a spiritual grace. And there are people that will say, well, why do we baptize infants and all that stuff? And I get that, and there are obviously schools of thought and that kind of thing, and I get that too. But basically, in, in baptizing an infant, we are saying God is faithful. And God watches over us. John Wesley said, from our first breath until our last, his grace is calling to us. And he desires to surround us and love us and watch over us. I would say, not trying to one-up Mr. Wesley, but who's not here to speak for himself, but from the first beat of our heart, he loved you in your mother's womb. He loved you. He loved you. 
And we're saying as the church that we will pray for that boy. That we will pray for those babies. That, you know, when the quads came up and the different people that brought their babies up to be baptized. That it's our job to pray for them. It's our job doing VBS. Maybe you would be the one that would share the gospel with them. You know? What a privilege. What a privilege. And I felt like as Breck, and that part was not rehearsed, for him to stand and wave at you guys. Y'all remember? I mean, how cool was that? And I felt like he was saying, you know, and I haven't had a conversation with him, and his parents are here. I saw y'all a while ago. I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, I just felt like he was saying, you know, he was excited to be here. I mean, you know? And y'all wave back, and that's kind of the church. That little boy's life could have been very, very different. You know, what a blessing to be a part of. Another sacrament is communion, and we're going to be doing this today. And we do this in remembrance of Jesus, of, of what he did for us on the cross. But it's also a remembrance of, this, of the road to Emmaus story in Luke. Where in the breaking of the bread, he was known to them. So we celebrate Jesus and what he did for us on the cross, but we also celebrate what he did for us in the resurrection. And for the early church, the work of Emmaus, the Emmaus Road and that story, and that he was known to them in the breaking of the bread, when we come and we feel these prayer rails, it is so much more than something we just do once a month. And it's so much more than a little piece of bread and the juice. But that the Lord is inviting us to his table. And he's also inviting us to a way of life. And communion is a time of repentance and redemption and healing and restoration. It can be a time of thanksgiving And it can be a time of even like sustenance for the next part of the journey. You know, we're not finished yet. We continue to grow. We continue to grow in him. The liturgy that we share is a reminder of God's faithfulness. Just like in the Passover meal, they went over the exodus and everything that happened, and they asked questions, and it was really long. Do you think sometimes our services are long? You need to go to a Passover service. They, and often there would be preaching in the middle of it. I mean, they're long, or they can be very long. So I invite you today that as you come to the table, you understand that certainly it's a time for us to ask for forgiveness of our sins and honor God, but it also can be a time of healing, of restoration, of ministry, of mission, forgiveness. It's a time that we can reestablish trust because sometimes things happen and it rattles our trust. It just does. And faith is not about when everything is great. Faith is about when it is hard and we say, no matter what, I'm going to love him and I'm going to trust him. And sometimes even the paradox of scripture is when Jesus talked about even a grain of wheat, when it falls to the ground 
and dies, and yet it produces much fruit. The whole Jesus on the cross was trauma for his followers. It looked like the ultimate defeat. He died. He died. But in communion, we remembered that he also rose from the dead and that the power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in all of us. So I don't know what your world is like this day. I don't know how it is. But regardless, my prayer for all of us, starting with me, is that I would see loving God more as the most important thing I do every day. I see a counselor every so often who's awesome. And um, I'll share a tidbit with you that cost me $150. So hopefully you will, you will take it. She's awesome. She's also kind of ka but she's awesome. That's why I don't go super often, but I do go. And I was like, okay, what do I do? You know, one of these questions I'm sure counselors love. You know, what do I do with my life now? So how do I, how do I go from here? And she said, just make sure Jesus is your first love. And I knew that. But it was one of those moments that was a zinger. Now, you don't lose, you learn the word zinger in seminary, but it was a zinger on love Jesus more. You know? Make him your first love. So what, what a remarkable gift we have in knowing God, knowing his word, receiving what he has done. What a remarkable gift he has given to us in communion. And I know sometimes the service is longer. I get all that. But oh my goodness. <laughs> we're remembering what he has done for us. And we're remembering the resurrection that changed everything. History changed with the life of Jesus. May we so honor him. And may we be willing to say, God, widen my heart. And Lord, forgive me when I don't believe you. You know, forgive me when I have struggled thinking, okay, God, how are you going to do this? Not sure how you're going to do this. Talking about me. And my word to you is he is faithful again and again and again and again. He is faithful. So as we come to this time of communion... I do not know what you bring to the table. I don't know what your week has been like. I don't know if it has just been awesome, you know, and you're wanting to do the hokey pokey right now. You're just so excited about life, you know, or if it's not been a great week or if it's been a hard week. I don't know what you bring. But as you come to the Lord's table or as communion is brought to you, if you need that, oh my goodness. You know, it's, it's with Jesus. And while we do not believe in the literal presence, it's the physical presence, that by his spirit, what you need, he touches you. If we are willing. We can always say no. You know, we can always say no, not me, not now. But oh my goodness. 
So whether you come with great joy or whether you come with, God, how are you going to do this? What a remarkable God. Whether you're coming with anxiety or whether you're coming with everything is wonderful. The cool thing is he can handle it all, right? He can handle it all. I don't say that flippantly, that he takes care of us.